In just a moment, I'm going to turn this to Brother Hart. I just want to share with you what I feel I we had a tremendous time Sunday with the Chamberlains, and I'm very thankful f that they were here and the way that they ministered. All of you that yielded to what the Lord did on Sunday, I'm appreciative of that. Thank you for allowing the Lord to minister. Uh, I was getting got to spend a little bit of time with with Brother Chamberlain after the service. And I really had never heard, the, I, I've known them for many, many years, as long as I've been married. Um, but I had never really heard the story or the details about how they met each other, how they uh, came to be married. Uh, and I'll save you a lot of the time, but I just, this, I remembered the way that he worded this. Um, he, he was not someone that, ra that was raised in church. In fact, uh, I, I just mentioned it quickly on, on uh, Sunday that he has family and family uh, ties here to the Yakima Valley. Um, I believe it was at least one of the sides of his family came out of, uh, or many generations prior were Mormon, of Mormon faith. And then I think it was his father who, though he was raised that way didn't stay that way and he really just kind of stopped following the Lord at all didn't want anything to do with him um, and that was the that was a lot of the family that he had here well he said that uh, he got through his later year or his early years his childhood years and then his teen years then got he got into the church and the way that the Lord kind of was putting his life together and then sister chamberlain who uh, had been already a part of the church and while they were uh, i don't even know if we use the word dating or how how properly we use that contact in context sometimes but while they were before they were married but after they hadn't met each other i'll put it that way um courting you might say he said, I decided to fleece the Lord about this situation. And that's that that uh, phrase comes out of a scripture in the Old Testament. Was it uh, Gideon? Is that the one that fleeced the Lord? If you remember Gideon, he oh, well, I'll go there in a minute. So what Brother Chamberlain said was, um, if, we're, if this is supposed to be and if we're meant to be, Lord, then have her tell me that I have pretty eyes. And apparently that's not something that he was used to hearing. He said no girl had ever told me that before. But he, I think he was putting the Lord to the test somewhat with that. He said they, they went to, uh, I don't know, some place that had one of those little photo booths and they were getting their photos taken together. And then later they were looking at the pictures and Sister Chamberlain looked and said, oh, you just have such pretty eyes. <laughs> and, and he knew right then the Lord had answered that prayer. Uh, and it became really a sign for him that, yeah, this is right. This is what the Lord is, has been telling me and I'm listening. But if you remember, if you don't know the story of Gideon, um, the long story short is he was told to 
go and fight a battle that he didn't think he was going to win or did really didn't feel like he had any chance to win. So he, this is where we come up with that term fleecing. He fleeced the Lord by one morning. He's, I think it was, uh, it was some type of a fleece, that, uh, like a, uh, a, a piece of cloth or wool or, or um, material that they put on the ground, sheep's wool. And the first time, he, I might be getting this a little wrong, I apologize, but the first time he, he puts it out on the ground in front of his tent and he tells the Lord, uh, uh, this is how I'm going to be proven to me by you that this is your word. When we wake up in the morning, let that be soaked with dew and the ground around it dry. And so he woke up and it was soaked with dew and the ground around it was dry. And so then... He says, okay, now the next phase, just to prove that that's you, is tomorrow morning, let that fleece be dry and the ground around it wet. Lord, and that's how I'll know, because you could do this one and then you could do that one, and that's just further proof to me that you could do anything, including take me into this battle and have us win it. So he did, and that was, sure enough, the next morning it was reversed as such and it became a sign it became a sure uh, word to Gideon that this was the Lord now I just feel to share that with you because how when and however you feel that with the Lord um, we know that there is proper time and proper merit to that it could also be a pretty scary thing, I guess, if you think about it, right? Well, what if I, what if this, I say this, and then it doesn't happen? Does that mean God didn't do it, or does that mean I'm wrong for giving him something that I shouldn't have given him? But what we do is we exercise our faith. Amen? Brother Hart, I'm going to turn this over to you. Let the Lord minister through you. Amen. Excited to use this fancy new pulpit. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Dean, for blessing the church with this. Amen. Give it up. <laughs> Give it up for him. Amen. I feel, uh, feel a strong witness of the Holy Ghost here. And... Uh, kind of in an, in an unexplainable way, and usually I feel like when that happens, it just means God's going to do something that we may not expect, and so I don't have very much to say, um, but I trust the Lord, and uh, I truly believe that He wants to do something tonight, amen. There's a uh, verse that's been on my mind today. It's in 1 Thessalonians, if you want to put it on the screen. It's a pretty, uh, pretty lengthy verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. I say that humorously. <laughs> it's only three words. <laughs> Amen. And I think this, this has got to be one of the most 
controversial <laughs> scriptures in the Bible because I don't think I've ever heard this verse quoted or mentioned without there being, you know, all these uh, excuses and explanations <laughs> behind, well, what that really means is, and if you, if you haven't seen it yet, they're on the screen, it simply says, pray without ceasing, <laughs> right? And us, us in our, because of our culture and our busy lives and just how we comprehend and understand things. <laughs> it's such a short verse, but it comes packed with 101 excuses as well, right? Because, you know, we live in America, and it's fast-paced, and it's, it's, about, it's about the 9 to 5, and it's all these things that, well, God knows that I got to go to work, and I got to be attentive on it, at the job, and you, you can fill in your own excuses um, I, have <laughs> I have plenty of my own. But the Lord's been dealing with me about this, and um, I want to look at one example here of a life in Scripture that I think exemplifies what this Scripture really means. And it's in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Uh, it's Daniel here, and Daniel, we, I've, I've mentioned him, I mentioned him, I think, last Tuesday or whenever that was, last Sunday, I don't remember. Um, and I think I, I think I sort of meshed a few sh stories together in his life, so I was reading through that the last couple days, and here in Daniel chapter 6, um, there's a it's kind of we j in scripture there we get little summary sometimes of stories and and in history and so at this point in history uh, Darius is is now the king and they're under the uh, they're under the Persian rule and empire and and uh, there's these guys in the kingdom who didn't really like Daniel because he was just such a good guy <laughs> and they didn't like how how good and wise and and uh, just of an excellent spirit he was. So they sought out to trap him. And they knew that the only way they could trap him, if you see there in verse 5, Daniel 6, it says, They knew we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of God. So we've got to trap him somehow, doing something that he knows he's supposed to do, something that's already his pattern to do. So they, long story short, they tricked the king, get him to sign this decree, and uh, they shouldn't, that you shouldn't make any petition to anyone but the king during this 30 days, and just goofiness, and uh, just pulled the, wool, pulled the wool over Darius's eyes. And if you look at verse 10 with me, it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he wasn't ignorant to this decree that was put into place. And uh, it, was, it was pretty serious, too. If, if they, they made it where if you broke that decree, they would be, you'd be thrown into a lion's den and uh, ate for lunch. And so Daniel, though, when he knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened. 
He wasn't even, wasn't even trying to hide, wasn't doing it in secret. His windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. And remember, they're in captivity here. They're not in, they're not in their homeland. They've been taken out, put into another culture, and now he's, he's went through Babylon and Babylonian reign, and now he's a part of the Persian Empire. And so if, if Daniel was going to be brainwashed by all of the ideas and the things of the world, it probably would have happened at this point. Uh, but we realize that the reason that that didn't happen was because of his, his pattern here. So he opened his chamber doors, his windows towards Jerusalem, and he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So these men, they, they trapped Daniel because they knew what his daily pattern was of prayer. They said, we'll make this decree that says if, if anyone makes any petition or any prayer essentially to anyone but the king and they did it knowing Daniel three times a day would kneel and cry out to God and uh, you know pray, praying without ceasing I don't think it always looks like kneeling on our knees um, you know there's some religions you see in in uh, the Muslim faith, they, they have specific times a day, no matter where they're at. It can be in the middle of an airport, the middle of a mall, anywhere. And when that time of prayer strikes, man, they pull out their mats and they go, they go to doing their thing. They go to doing their routine. And I, don't, I, I know for a fact, based on other scriptures, that's not God's plan. That's not his intention for us to publicly and make a scene in that way. But I believe that with the, the prayer without ceasing is one that, I, like I, this example of Daniel, I don't believe Daniel had a however long, hour-long prayer meeting in the morning and, you know, started by saying, Lord, bless this day and, you know, help me and amen. And then he came back in his second phase of prayer and said, Lord, good to see you again. Lord, bless this day. Help me see you again later in the evening. <laughs> came back the third time, right? I don't believe, what I believe that pray without ceasing means is that our prayer time doesn't really have an end time. It, it just flows from one to the other. One, whether it's one time on our knees to the next or it's, from my knees and morning prayer if I only get 30 or 40 minutes to in my car on the way to work, to walking down the halls at work, to when I worked, when I worked at Costco there at the kiosk, when I got to open, I would, I would walk circles <laughs> around the little kiosk and just act like I was cleaning all the phones, but really I was like laying my hands on them all. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I plead the blood on, <laughs> I don't know if this is doing anything, but <laughs> plead the blood on this, this kiosk. And because I believe not just that, that I want God to bless my job and those that I'm there working with, but I believe that as, as it, I, I think of it kind of this way, and it's a silly teenager thing, but may, hopefully it's only a teenager thing, I don't know. 
Um, but when, when teenagers, I've heard, <laughs> have a uh, have boyfriend or girlfriend, and man, they're the best thing, right? It's just best thing that's been in, discovered in their life to this point, and and uh, if they have, they happen to have cell phones, then man, teenagers, they can be on the cell phone with significant other for hours, or even I'm sure the flowers you can relate in being in a long-term relationship when you were when you were dating from Washington to Tennessee and uh, long distance right and it's that that connection it's that avenue of of connection but I've I've known people that would they would go to literally go to sleep with the phone (laughs) on their ear and uh, they're not having a conversation at that point obviously but they they so valued that connection so valued that relationship and cherished it to the point that even if all they heard was snoring on the other end of the line it still was pleasing to them to know that that i guess that's fellowship in a sense i don't know if you <laughs> if you can call that fellowship or not but i believe uh with that silly example i believe that praying without ceasing is is in that sense having having the line always open god should never and we know we never do so god should never get a busy signal with us when he moves us to pray um and for me lately i've been and i i know i talked about this a couple months ago the importance of having a place a specific place of prayer and the lord's kind of brought that back to my mind recently and just convicted me to get back to that place of prayer, but also to not just let that place of prayer be the only place that I pray. But when I walk into the kitchen and I'm making a peanut butter sandwich, can still let the Lord talk to me and deal with me and think about the needs of the body and think about the, you know, the weights that my brothers and my sisters are carrying and not be so selfish to only think about or even just pray about myself. And this is, is kind of a very different topic. Um, just kind of came back to my mind. But there's a story in Acts, I think it's Acts 19 or 20. And I'll just kind of reference it for sake of time. Um, but there's some apostles, I, I believe it's Paul. Paul and another apostle that's in Ephesus. And maybe we can turn there real quickly. I believe it's 19. Yeah, Acts 19. And again, I'll still summarize, but you can read it later. They're here in in Ephesus, and there 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 arises a. The way it describes it is no small stir, so there arises a big stir. <laughs> in that area, and a certain man named Demetrius. We're in verse twenty-four, Acts nineteen. A silversmith 
which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Whom he, and, and he decided to call this little council together. He calls them together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. This is making these idols, these shrines, this is where we get our well-being. And moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, not only here at Ephesus, but also throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. These silly little silver shrines that we're making aren't actually gods. It's what Paul's saying, and they probably knew that too, but it's how they made their money, so they were okay with still doing it. And uh, verse 27, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Worshipeth, yes. And so when, when they heard these sayings, they, they quickly got on Demetrius's side and they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Uh, long story short here, there's, there's this turn that happens in the city of Ephesus where a handful of people, it, se- it would seem a good amount of people, turn to the things that Paul was saying. They got a revelation that, okay, these, these idols are not really gods. Diana's doesn't really matter. And um, they brought, they begin to bring all of their, um, their books of, of magic and, um, I don't know, spells, whatever, whatever those books were. Their, their religion, essentially, their books of false doctrine, they brought them and, and piled them up here and, and decided that they were going to leave it all behind. And so they lit them on fire. And Scripture says it was, and maybe this is in the next chapter. I thought it was all here together. But the Scripture says it was, I believe it's 50,000 um, pieces of silver worth that those, those books that they just brought there together and piled up um, the cost of them would have been. And the other day I, and I don't know how this fits with prayer, it might not, um, but the other day as I was reading this scripture, I felt the Lord challenge me. And I feel like the way it goes with prayer is because, you know, we, we pray and we expect and believe God to hear us, and we know he does. Um, but there's also scriptures that talk about our our posture and our position of prayer, and I think it's Hebrews chapter 5 when it talks about Jesus being a son, and though he were a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. The verse before that says he prayed to God, and uh, he knew that he would, God would do what he asked essentially because of his posture, because of his positioning, um, and that's, that's paraphrasing, but it, it was more than just the words that he spoke. It was also the attitude, the, the humility that he came with, to God, knowing that his prayers would be heard. And so, as I, as I mentioned, we, we know we never get a busy signal with God, and he never should get one with us when he asks us to pray for something or when he just wants to speak to us. And so, I, 
I guess just to make this connect, the, the distractions of the world is what this, these verses brought me to thinking about. Because I feel, it, and maybe it's just in myself, I, I think it's probably not, but I feel a, a deep calling of, of consecration and separation from, from the noise of this world. Because, you know, we can say that we pray without ceasing, but if, you know, we have, we can have an AirPod in one ear and then the God hotline in the other ear and our prayer is not really going to uh, avail very much when we have no focus, when we have no attention. And so what kind of simple thought here in this, this scripture, I know this is kind of scattered, I felt like the Lord uh, dealt with me about was as as the church in in the modern day, you know, we can make a lot of excuses and we can preach. We 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 can like the messages right that are strong and you know you shouldn't have you shouldn't watch this movie or you shouldn't do this thing. And I I went to Bible school, so I've seen all the young people who like to be that type of preacher and. Uh, and I have to pray through because I know how they were, <laughs> right, in, in their normal life. And uh, I'm like, man, I wish I just didn't see that because now I have to pray because I know who you really are. So I believe it's important to live what we preach. <laughs> and uh, in this, this story, this true story here in Ephesus, the, the church caused such a stir and the message of the gospel caused such a stir that the idol makers were getting concerned that their business was going to be, it was going to dry up because these people were realizing there's a true God. There's a real God who actually hears prayers, who actually responds. Uh, he actually created us. He actually has a purpose for us. And we're over here wasting our money on these silly little statues that just sit there. And that's, that's why Demetrius brings these silversmiths here together. And my concern in, for the church and conviction for myself is that I can preach these messages against these idols, right? And say, man, you shouldn't worship that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't binge on Netflix or watch this many movies and waste your day and fill your mind with, with garbage. And it's funny because I saw a, it's a fake news article, but a news article that said Netflix is now offering a service where they'll just <laughs> pump they'll just pump sewage straight into your house for no additional fee. <laughs> and it was kind of funny to me cuz I was like, man, I thought they were already doing that. But again, we can we can know these things and and preach these things. But there should be a, and it, it starts, in, of course, with us and in our homes. There should be a besetting of, of the idols, a, a shifting of the things that, that we're usually comfortable with and that we just binge. And I'm afraid that for myself at times, and I've seen it, I'll just say just myself, <laughs> myself at times, I can preach against these things, but then I can also go 
and be supporting the idol business. <laughs> as, as the church and as a Christian, as a man of God, my, my prayer, my, my focus on him and, and my dedication should be, it should be causing a nervousness in the kingdom of, of Satan and the things of darkness to, to the point where they're having to get together and say, man, <laughs> you see what's happening over there at not just Life Church Union Gap, but Life Church, the Roa House, Life Church, the Maze House, right? Because it starts in the four walls of, not even just the four walls, we know it starts right here in, I guess, the four walls of our flesh. <laughs> and so I, with Daniel, what's so amazing with Daniel is that he was, he lived through all these empires, these kingdoms that, that literally represented the, the spirit of the world of that day. And yet he was never conformed. He never changed. And he made up in his mind, he, he set his heart towards the things of God, not just physically in his posture facing Jerusalem when he prayed, but from the very first chapter of, of Daniel, you see that he decided to not defile himself with the king's meat. And it wasn't just because he was vegetarian and didn't want to eat meat, but because he knew that that meat had previously been offered to idols. That meat wasn't just something that benefited him and that tasted good. But, and we, I think we talked about it last week, a couple, couple days ago. Conscience, our conscience. And so, man, the Lord's been dealing with me about my conscience. Because we see the scripture that says our conscience or your conscience can get seared. And so, how do we regain a healthy conscience? Well, it's by prayer and the word of God. A rededication to a place of prayer that you know, I think of Daniel's routine. I'm, I'm kind of a routine person. Daniel's three times a day, specific set-aside times of prayer. And I, I have no doubt that he was communing and fellowshipping with God 24-7. But how, how easy is it for us, for our routine to be, you know, wake up in the morning, roll over, pull out our phone, <laughs> consume some garbage, <laughs> get up, you know, have breakfast, read the news is like kind of a, a thing, but that's just more garbage. <laughs> I have this on my desktop at work. It's the weather is right there in the corner, but if you click it, pops up a little thing that I don't know what, if it's through MSN, I don't know what it is, but gives you like 10 or so little news headings, little picture and and man, I click on that thing like 20 times a day <laughs> and just read the headlines and man, but it's all garbage. <laughs> but I wonder, I, for myself, I wonder how, how different things would be in myself, in my house, in my, and then in my community, in my job, if my routine was get up first time of prayer, <laughs> go to work, you know, we... We have still these responsibilities, but go to work and still commune, abide with him, and then get home, and instead of get home and fall on my bed and 
man, an hour and a half goes by because of Instagram or whatever videos. What if I get home, maybe take a little nap, <laughs> and then go fall on my face like Jesus did there in the garden to push aside his flesh, push, push aside his will, and instead of being in a place of self-preservation, Jesus was there at a place of, of death, denying himself. Because he knew that, of course he knew what he had to do, he knew he had to die, but he knew that there was a, a greater kingdom than the kingdom of this world that was to come. And it's, sometimes it sounds so simple to be, sounds too easy to be that simple, right? Or so simple that it can't be that easy. But really the things of God are, they, they have a lot of depth to them. But at the same time, so much, so much of it is just about faithfulness. It's just about a commitment to him and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to push these things aside. I'm going to have this dedication of these whether it's three times a day of specifically falling on my knees or whether it's you know, purposing to, I'm definitely going to start my day in prayer. And then whenever I feel any nudge or whenever I have a free time, instead of pulling out my phone, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to fellowship you, mixing that prayer with, with your word for your direction. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hart. <clears throat> he mentioned a word that just kept sticking out to me, the word posture. So if the scripture says pray without ceasing, and I think I have to be laying on my face to pray, when can I get up? Or if I think I've got to be kneeling to pray, when can I get up? If the scripture says pray without, don't stop praying. Does that, does that mean I've got to find a job where I can kneel and work at the same time and pray? So, because my po I don't tie the posture to the simple act of whether I'm praying or not. What I have found is very often my posture will reflect which type of praying I'm currently engaged in. That, that scripture about Daniel said, I love it when the scripture is so plain and it's almost redundant. He knelt on his knees. He, actually, it says he kneeled, so it spells the word knee and kneeled. He kneeled on his knees as opposed to his elbows or his shoulder blades. He kneeled on his knees. But it, it very frequently uh, what I found is if I'm kneeling, I'm usually engaged in a pretty particular type of praying. If I'm laying, that oftentimes reflects a different type of praying. If I'm sitting and praying... That reflects, usually to me, a different type of praying. If I'm standing and walking, or might even you might say pacing 
to me that's a different type of praying but the beautiful thing about that is I haven't ceased praying just because my posture has changed you can pray driving otherwise we wouldn't be able to drive anywhere and and obey the scripture right I mean if you want to be literal about some stuff let's be literal about some stuff pray always and don't stop praying okay then Lord I have to be able to eat sometime or I'm not gonna live many more days yeah sure go ahead eat but don't stop praying okay thank you you know I also have to tie my shoes all my shoes aren't slip-ons I've got some that I have to tie can I tie those yeah go ahead you can tie your shoes but don't stop praying okay thank you I'll tie my shoes and, and go about my day we don't we don't we you have to be careful it's it's our mindset up here that says oh I, I pray really good when I am in this posture so that's that's what I'm gonna do to pray I feel the Lord when I am in this posture and so everything else I'm not really gonna count that so much as prayer I was remembering one of the times I, there's not this, that many that stick out to me in this great of detail, but we were sitting, uh, we, were, we were staying at my parents' house, and they had, a, they had a upstairs and a landing there and a chair at the top of those stairs. And just to me, it really was a, I know it was the season of life that I was in, but I remember a particular day, an evening I think it was, I just made it up those stairs and sat in that chair and I really don't think I moved for an hour, but I prayed, sitting upright. <laughs> Mom and Dad, if you hear this, and if I ever get a chance to get that chair, I want it. That was my, most, the, my favorite chair. And I think it came from the hit, my dad's brother. That's beside the point. But I mean, I, you want to talk about feeling the Lord. If I sat in that chair, I could feel the Lord. <laughs> but I sat, and I, I mean, I didn't move for an hour, and then... Because really that's all I could do at that time, that day, was just sit there and pray. And I, I think, I really think the majority of that time, that, that particular time, it was just soft tongues that I was praying mo most of that time. Um, because I really didn't have anything more to say or didn't know what else to say. But that's been at least six seven eight years ago eight years it was when around the time she was born so how can how can one hour-long session if that of prayer eight years ago mark me to such a degree I mean I've prayed it, there I wasn't crying I wasn't shaking I wasn't you know, none of that. It was just a particular time that I knew I was engaged in that, the prayer that the Lord wanted me to be engaged in for that moment. And I was sitting in a really nice, soft, comfortable chair. Thank the Lord for that chair. But so my posture, my posture can be a part of, of my praying but it does not dictate my praying 
or whether I am praying or whether I can pray. Now, I, I know a lot of times, especially, you know, if you're in a, a loud house with a lot of people and you're thinking, I, there's so much going on right now, I couldn't pray if I wanted to. Well, then do what's necessary to obey the Scripture because the Scripture does tell you pray without ceasing. That doesn't, I'm not telling you move, um, but I'm telling you uh, figure out what has to be adjusted, whether it's in you or whether it's in the external circumstances around you. Figure out what has to be adjusted because I promise you the Lord is not going to put you in a situation where you cannot pray. He won't do that. He would be violating his word if he told you, don't stop praying, and then he puts you in a circumstance where you can't pray. Right? That's a conflict. He wouldn't do that. So I've got I've to stop and examine what's going on around me that's keeping me from being able to pray. Sometimes I'm so tired. I want to pray. It's like the, the, the disciples in the garden. Oh, we just fall asleep. And Jesus says the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, then what I need to do is examine what have I done that day, those last few days, that week? What's, what's the schedule that I'm keeping that is preventing me from being able to pray for even five minutes? Oh, five minutes in and I'm ready to doze. Why? Because I'm giving time and energy and effort to things that are preventing me from being able to pray. We have to be able to pray. Not only that, we have to be able to pray at all times. Let me just say this as well. If there are certain activities that you are involved in and you can't pray while you're doing that activity, you need to examine that activity because the Lord would not want you to be doing an activity that you can't simultaneously be praying. We know praying is not just speaking audible words with our mouth, right? It's our spirit engaged in prayer. But if, I ha if there are certain activities, man, I just have to disengage my spirit for a while so that I can participate in this activity. That's not godly. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that is here tonight. I thank you for the truth of your word, Father. I thank you for speaking to us, Jesus. I thank you for giving us understanding. Thank you for giving us direction and clarity in your word, Father. Thank you, God, for your desire to minister to us. God, I know that you would speak to us at all times. It is your desire to speak to your people throughout our day, Lord, throughout our evening. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, continue to speak to me. Let my spirit stay engaged in prayer. Let my spirit and my mind stay engaged in prayer, Lord, that there would be no disconnect, Lord, that there would be no disengaging 
of my spirit from your spirit. God, you want us to be connected 24-7. God, you want my spirit to be open and available to you 24-7. And my mind, God, so that you could speak into it at any time. God, so that you could share into it at any time. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm open to you. Lord, I'm open to you. My mind is open to you, Jesus. God, I want my mind to be your territory. I want my mind to be under your subjection. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray it tonight. Cleanse our minds, O oh God. Cleanse our minds, Lord Jesus. Anything, God, that's taking up space that should belong to you and doesn't, God, I pray let it be cleansed tonight in Jesus' name. Let it be purged tonight in Jesus' name so that my mind could be completely yours. God, so that my conscience could be completely yours to speak into, O oh God, to impress upon in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it. I thank, come on, let's thank the Lord for a moment. I thank you, God. I thank you for understanding. I thank you for revelation and strength. I thank you for direction, Lord God. I thank you for edification and for encouragement. God, I'm so thankful to you. Jesus, you've proven yourself to us over and over again. I'm thankful for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Bishop is smiling at me. You can, you can be seated. First Corinthians fourteen, chapter verse two says, "For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue." speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So the majority of my praying, I pray in the Spirit, speaking in tongues. Unless, while praying in the Spirit, words of my understanding are given to me to pray. I don't feel bad about that in the least. But the minute I take a microphone, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to God. So I do very little speaking in tongues in the microphone. Okay? I felt that the other day in prayer and felt like I needed to voice that somewhere. Now, I was praying this morning at about 2 o'clock. 
I wasn't speaking. I was praying. My wife was laying next to me and she was sleeping. So I wasn't speaking. But I was praying. He was talking. I was listening. He didn't stop talking. He kept talking. I was good with sleeping. But he kept talking. And the more he talked, the heavier I felt. So by 4 o'clock, I got up and went to the living room because I felt like the Lord challenged me to search in his word to know what his word said about what he was talking to me about. When I was young, a boy, 12, I don't know what it was my mom asked me to do, and I wasn't interested in doing it. And she said to me, you are lazy. What? That kind of stung. That kind of hurt. She didn't elaborate. She didn't rail on me. She didn't have to. She said it one time. But that word kept being repeated. That was an insult to me. That made me feel bad. I didn't like it. But the pain of it served to motivate me. Now, I also realize that when you're young, when the things are not your idea, you don't want to, no, I don't want to do that. But the minute it is something that becomes my idea, I become highly motivated. And in the process of living and growing up, you find yourself involved more in things that they are your idea. You become motivated, and then you find the joy of seeing them fulfilled. Now, there was a man who was sent to a company that I worked for. He was supposed to work with us, and he was afraid of work. His dad worked at one of the other companies in the corporation. And so they sent him from one company to the company I was in. And I remember one day I was loading a truck and I looked over. There he was smoking cigarettes behind the pallets. Hiding. He was hiding. He was in his 40s. He'd raised a family. We, we had a, a, a processing line and he, I don't know how he escaped. But he got away. And he was out there, hunched over, smoking cigarettes while I was walking by, loading the truck, in and out, in and out, 800 times a day. I was no longer lazy. And I remember seeing my boss, Bob Beglow, march up there and get a hold of him. Get in here. You're going to work on this line. He got him in there and scared him to death, you know. But... He started working on the line, started talking to the guys, and he started enjoying working. 
he had escaped it for so long, he had a phobia of it because he hadn't done it. And he became, I watched him become, I felt like one of the best workers in the company. He needed some help. So Bob helped him. Now, I'm serious when I say the Lord presented this to me in the night. Burdened with me till I got up and did a search. I want to show you just for a little bit. I'm going to take probably five minutes here. Realize how long we've gone. What the Bible says about being lazy. Are you ready for this? Hit me. Okay. What does God say about laziness? Proverbs 15 and 19. I'm just going to read these to you. The path of lazy people is like a thorny hedge, but the road of decent people is an open highway. I, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to read the, where the reference is to you. It'll take too much time. Let me just read the words, okay? Like a door on its hinges, a lazy man turns back and forth on his bed. Lazy people are too lazy to lift the food from their plate to their mouth. The Bible says this. Lazy people think they are seven times smarter than the people who really have good sense. Whoever is lazy regarding his work is also a brother to the master of destruction. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. Laziness is a sin. While the poor and needy suffered outside her door, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. <laughs> Buttered popcorn. <laughs> Couch potato. The lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. She's clothed with strength. This is the virtuous woman. She's clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Let me encourage every lady here. Proverbs chapter 31. Go home tonight and read through that. Examine yourself. See where you stand. Lazy hands bring poverty, but hardworking hands lead to wealth. Whoever harvests during summer acts wisely, but the son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. 
The appetite of the sluggard craves but gets nothing, but the desire of the diligent will abundantly be satisfied. I've read 13 verses to you. There's 55 that talk about laziness. The Lord help us. The Lord help us. God bless you. Amen. On that note, who wants to help us move Sister Schoonover's office downstairs? <laughs> Amen. Lord, I thank you for being here with us tonight. I thank you, Father, for speaking to us. Jesus, you're so good. Your word is true. Every word that you've spoken is true, Father. We believe it. We claim it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.